this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. We're halfway through the season and there are no more undefeated teams, so let the real fun begin. We'll recap what was a fantastic weekend in Vegas. We'll speak with Bruce Codd of the Toronto Rock. And as we celebrate Black History Month, Rick Soul. All that more on OTCB. I am an What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and of course, the Lacrosse Flash and Spotify. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It's February 6th. It's absolutely pouring rain. I left the sunshine of Vegas for the rains of Vancouver Island. I don't hate it. And I must say, I don't love, but I don't hate Vegas. And if you've ever been to Vegas, I'm sure you can agree with that sentiment. There's always the good and bad. But it was a remarkable weekend down in Sin City for the first ever Sin City showdown. I'll give you my brief recap. It's Thursday. We got to look forward to week 11, so we don't need to rehash too much of that game. We'll go back and look back at some of the main points from what was an incredible weekend in Las Vegas for the National Lacrosse League. We'll speak with Bruce Codd, defensive coach of the Toronto Rock momentarily. Toronto, the first team to knock off the Halifax Thunderbirds this season. There are no more teams undefeated. So now we can really focus on moving forward and focusing on our new playoff system and the way it looks right now, if we were only playing a 10-week season, and yes, I know, not all teams have played the same amount of games, but when there's a 22-week schedule, when you get to week 11, you're halfway through. That's just simple math. So for those keeping score at home, If the regular season ended today, these would be your playoff matchups. Halifax would take on Georgia in the 1-8 game. New England would take on Toronto in the 2-7. Saskatchewan, Colorado in the 3-6. And Buffalo, Philadelphia in the 4-5 game. So you have Halifax and Georgia, which would be an absolute dynamic affair. New England and Toronto, those teams have played some incredible games over the last couple of years, and there is a little bit of bad blood between those two teams. We all know Saskatchewan and Colorado only play dramatic low-scoring games, and Buffalo and Philadelphia is one of the oldest rivalries in our league. Now, of course, in the next 11 weeks, that's all probably going to change. But it's interesting just to see how it is going to play out when we get there. Now, I've said many times that I think, or I thought, because now my mind is changing, that one of the two wild card teams will come out of that Western division. When you look at the way the divisions are set up right now, that's not going to happen as Toronto and Georgia 
or your two wild card teams if the playoffs were to start today. But the way new uh the, by the, but the way Vancouver is starting to play, the way San Diego is starting to play, those western teams are going to climb up and get better winning percentages as this year goes on. And you could see a western team grab one of those two coveted wild card positions. But as of right now, it's a North and an Eastern team, and it still blows my mind that Georgia is eighth right now. But we've got a long way to go. I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of where we sit currently, and we can come back to this in 11 weeks' time, 12 weeks' time, and just compare how this league changes over three months. Because there is definitely going to be some changes. And I look forward to it. So we'll talk to Bruce Codd, whose Toronto Rock currently sits seventh and would have to face New England, but they're more focused on facing the Buffalo Bandits this weekend. And a Sunday... Sunday day tilt at not the ACC, Scotia Place. I still want to call it ACC. Regardless, we move on. And I do want to move on fairly quickly because I want to make sure you can all stick around for the Rick Soul interview. And if you don't know the name Rick Soul, you've probably never watched the M-I-L-L and you obviously don't follow college lacrosse very closely now it's not a diss or a knock it's just rick soul is a name that is synonymous with the early days of the m-i-l-l and will go down as one of the greatest coaches in ncaa history only one of three coaches to take three different ncaa division one programs to the big dance Also, one of, I believe, just two African-American players to be captain in the National Lacrosse League. You count the M-I-L-L with the N-L-L because they merged. And I believe it is just him and Billy D. Smith are the only two black players to ever be captain in pro indoor lacrosse. There were figurative barriers in front of Rick Soul as he progressed through his lacrosse career. And we will go through many of those. And we'll talk about the roots of the black community in the game of lacrosse and where it's going and how it can continue to improve. Because while we continue to, quote, grow the game, the game still doesn't have global and cultural diversity we we play it all across the world but the diversity of the game still has a long way to go so let's focus on the nll first we'll get to ricky soul momentarily week 10 in the national lacrosse league is done it was one that was focused primarily on vegas 
Yes, there were other games going on. Yes, there were big contests between teams that we will focus on and we will talk about. But truly, all of the eyes of the lacrosse world went to Vegas Saturday night. Quickly. Corey Small scores his second straight overtime game winner as Buffalo knocks off Rochester 16-15 in front of 11,000 people. A phenomenal game, one that Rochester probably let slip away and would like to have a couple of those possessions back. But it just goes to show that Rochester is much improving. Buffalo is on a roll. They've won four straight. Georgia beats Philadelphia 12-11 in front of 6,700 fans in Philadelphia. Another big win for the Georgia Swarm, who are starting to find their rhythm. Casey Jackson, the man of hat-tricks, continues to lead the league in scoring. We'll get to Bruce Codd and the Toronto Rock as they beat Halifax 12-9 in front of 11,000 people in Toronto. A fantastic crowd for that game and Halifax's first loss of the season. Vancouver goes coast to coast and beats New England in front of 4,800 people inside the casino at Mohegan Sun. The Vancouver Warriors don't look now, but are one of the best defensive teams in the NLL. Not something you could say about this organization over the past few years but they are starting to play some very intense, physical, defensive lacrosse. And it's resulting in low numbers for Eric Penny and big wins for the Vancouver Warriors. They will host the Buffalo Bandits Friday before taking on Rochester on Sunday. But as mentioned, the the main focal point of this weekend was Vegas. San Diego versus Colorado, a massive Western game. The first meeting between these two teams. The first meeting of two in three weeks between these two clubs. And I had completely forgot about the stat from last year that San Diego beat Colorado all three times. And in all three of those games, they chased Dylan Ward. Well, they've made it a perfect four for four now. They chased Dylan Ward this past weekend. They got their fourth straight win over the Colorado Mammoth. And for San Diego, a very important win as they've now won back-to-back games and have found themselves out of the basement in the West. Nick Damood has won back-to-back starts as a true rookie. I don't think they put Frank Chiliano in next weekend when they play in Colorado. I think this is Nick Damood's team for now. Obviously, Frank is day-to-day, game-to-game with an undisclosed injury. But you cannot, and Patrick Merrill will not, take away the net from Nick Daymood right now. He's playing too well, with too much confidence. You cannot hurt a young player's confidence by saying, our number one's back, sorry, you're out. We're going to let him back in between the pipes. You got to let him run with it. See what he can do for your team. They're playing their best lacrosse of the season. Let's roll with it. More importantly, Austin Stotts is back. 
And when I saw Austin Stott's pregame Saturday night, the kid had the biggest smile on his face, and it hasn't left him. I can guarantee you that. Ten months or so, he was away from the team, unable to practice, unable to put the pads on, unable to go 100%. And having gone through knee injuries of my own and understand the process that it takes, there is no better feeling than when you get the clearance from the doctors and the clearance from your physicians and the clearance from your team and you can get the okay to get back out there with your brothers. Austin Stotts had this game circled on his calendar as a potential return date and he did not disappoint. A goal and three assists probably was a part of more goals than he was credited for just because of his work ethic. And he brings an energy to that team and to the arenas whenever he plays that is just mesmerizing. It's hypnotic at times. You can just sit there and watch him and be entertained just solely on watching him play the game because he plays it with passion, with love, with respect, and with humility. And when he scored that goal, you could see the emotion pouring out of his face. We had a shot during the broadcast where after that goal, he's on the bench, he's resting his head on the dasher, hands over his head, and Brody Merrill is there consoling him and yet picking him up at the same time. Because I think everybody within that organization knew what that game meant and what the game itself means to Austin Stotts. That was one of just a few amazing stories in that game. Zach Greer scores first. Colorado scores the next three. As I'm watching that game, I'm saying to myself, okay, Colorado's got the rhythm. They're moving their ball. They're moving their feet. They're doing all the things that they do when they are playing great lacrosse. And then Bill Greer, the defensive coach for the Seals, made some adjustments. Along with Pat Merrill, they made some adjustments with their defense. And unfortunately, that Colorado Mammoth offense stopped getting to the middle of the floor. They stopped moving their feet. They stopped moving the ball. And it allowed for that San Diego defense to control the pace of the game. And they really did shut down Colorado the rest of the way. And Doug Locker made the point that when San Diego's defense is scoring goals in transition, they become successful. I tried to counter that and say the same thing happens with Colorado. Well, Colorado got a transition goal, a shorthanded goal from Joey Capito. He leads the league with three shorthanded goals. But it was the goal at the end of the half by Brody Merrill that was the backbreaker. Now you may say to yourself, it was only a two-goal game. It only made it 8-6. There was still a half an hour of lacrosse to play. I can tell you that that goal was deflating. It was deflating for me as a commentator and a voice of the mammoth. 
Now that game, I, you know, we're Doug and I were both kind of in the middle. We each have our allegiances. But watching that game and watching that goal go in, you could see how deflating that was for Colorado. Just everything about the goal. It took two bounces. Goes into the perfect place in the top corner. And there was 0.1 seconds left on the clock. And not only did Pat Coyle challenge, which he definitely should have, but because they'd already called a timeout, adding insult to injury, they're down two goals and they have to start the third quarter now down a man because they got a bench minor penalty. And from that point on, Colorado never had their footing. They were never able to get back to within striking distance. And San Diego slowly started to pour it on, and they started to pull away. Casey Jackson, in his third game back from concussion symptoms, looks like the Casey Jackson of old. He was ridiculous on Saturday night. Him, Zach Greer, Austin Stotts, Connor Fields were a lethal force on that lefty shooter side. Then you had Berg, Kiernan, and Noble on the other side. They just had an incredible game plan to pick apart what is one of the best defenses in the National Lacrosse League. They had a game plan. It worked to perfection. They took advantage of an aggressive Colorado defense. They took advantage of aggressive Dylan Ward. They manipulated the two-man game, and they manipulated players behind the net. It was a beautifully orchestrated game plan, and it resulted in a very lopsided victory for the San Diego Seals and a huge win for that club going forward. They get this weekend off. They get to go back into Colorado to take on the Mammoth in what will be a massive return match. And more importantly, that win gave everybody in that arena something to cheer for unless you were a Mammoth fan. And there were a lot of Mammoth fans in the arena. I have to applaud all of those people wherever they were traveling from because I know a lot of players' fans were at that game. So it wasn't just people traveling from Denver to Vegas. It was people from all over. But there was a large, large portion of those people were from Colorado and diehard Mammoth fans. And I loved it. They were making noise all game long. Unfortunately, the fans of the Seals and fans of lacrosse who were cheering for the winning team got to cheer a little bit more. And those 4,821 fans were treated to an absolute beautiful lacrosse game. It had a little bit of everything. Probably could have used a fight. I thought it was going to happen as tempers kind of boiled over, but it never did. I would have loved to have seen Kinnear and Merrill. Like, Kinnear is a tough kid. Merrill's got reach, but Kinnear wanted a piece of the old man. It was just a, a sight to behold. Now, obviously the talk is, will Vegas ever get a lacrosse team? Jessica Berman said that Vegas is on their short list as the league wants to get to 16 teams in three years. I truly believe, like many others, that Vegas is in. Just a matter of when and what arena. Now, my concern is this. 
the 4,200 people that were at that game, or sorry, 4,800 that were at that game, I would say the majority of them were indeed lacrosse people. And I say that because the U.S. Boxla had a major youth event going on in Vegas at the exact same time. And not that that's a bad thing that you're getting lacrosse people out to that game. Unfortunately, it doesn't show a true representation of what Vegas people were at that game. So when you look at it and say, oh, great, you know, we put just under 5,000 people in a 8,000 seat arena or however many Orleans held. It's a great showing but maybe not a true representation of what a crowd would look like on any given day if Vegas had their own team. Now, having taken a bunch of Ubers while I was in Vegas on the weekend and talking to the drivers about the game and and sporting life in Vegas, they said that the biggest thing that helped the Vegas Knights was that the Vegas Knights were a brand new team. They weren't a relocated team. And so when it's a brand new team, the Vegas fans are able to get around that team as their own. They use the hashtag Vegas born a lot with the Vegas Golden Knights. With the Raiders coming to town, the Raiders are moving from Oakland. So it's not going to be a true Vegas team. It will be the Las Vegas Raiders or whatever they're being called, but they're not going to be Vegas's own. So if Vegas gets a lacrosse team that is their own, you might see it get a ton of local love. And that is the biggest point. Obviously, trying to find the right arena is huge. I know Evan Schemenauer is a proponent of them going to the MGM Grand, which is a rumored buyer for this new franchise. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out. I think lacrosse in Vegas would be unbelievable. But as always... Ownership, market, arena deal, those three pillars obviously have to be key. But for the first time ever, I think it was an absolute hit. There's always going to be some glitches and some hiccups as you try to put on a neutral site game. But the San Diego Seals, Steve Govett, Josh Gross, everybody involved did a wonderful, wonderful job. And you have to give the players a lot of credit for going to Vegas. That couldn't have been easy with everything going on to focus on a game, to go out there and play in front of, you know, 5,000 fans of, of neutralish fans. It was phenomenal. I, I had a blast. I know all the players did. I know all the random players that were there for, for a relaxing getaway or those ones that were in Vegas coaching in the U.S. Boxle event. It was an incredible weekend. I'm excited to see what other kind of one-off events this league can do to try to drum up business in other markets, potential markets. But this was a fantastic first showing. It'll be very interesting to see the end result. If Vegas does get a team, how much we can go back and look at this past weekend is the cornerstone and kickoff for Lax Vegas. I had a blast. I know everybody else that was there had a blast. I'm sure Colorado people wish there was a win there because now they have to go to uh, sorry to Saskatchewan on a bit of a short week. 
That's not an easy turnaround, but that's the way of the National Lacrosse League. So I had a blast in Vegas. Like I said, I know everybody did too. It was a phenomenal league, uh, phenomenal night for the league. Um, thanks to Joel Feld for for bringing me along for that game. I had a, a great time working with my good friend Doug Locker and Devin Caney. Um, the staff at Orleans were phenomenal. Just all around, what a weekend. What a weekend it was in Vegas. Um, but that was just one of a handful of games in Week 10. We mentioned Toronto knocked off Halifax 12-9, the first time Halifax had lost. And Bruce Codd, the defensive coach of the Toronto Rock, was there. He got to witness it firsthand. He got to orchestrate a defense that held Halifax to their lowest goal total of the season. The Rock have won four of five. They're sitting in third in the north. And Bruce, you guys are playing some really, really exciting lacrosse right now. Yeah, we, you know, obviously we had a nice uh, win there last week against Alex, and you know, I think we've strung together a couple uh, pretty good efforts for the most part. You're four and two. You're three and one in a very tough North Division. Do you think this new alignment of divisions is creating more rivalries, and we're seeing a lot more heated contests throughout the league? Well, I think as it goes, it certainly will. And I mean, certainly, you know, from our standpoint, yeah, the games have been pretty heated within our division. They they mean so much now. So I do think it will kind of ramp up the intensity, and especially uh, as things get tighter uh, later on in the year, I think you'll really see it ramp up. You guys did knock off Halifax this past weekend, giving them their first one. What did you like most about your guys' defensive efforts? Well, I thought we, we did a really good job of, uh, you know, creating turnovers, you know, kind of kept them, you know, at bay for the most part in terms of, uh, you know, just getting out and putting pressure. But really, you know, I was really happy to see our transition game kind of, uh, you know, come to light. I think that's been an area that, you know, we kind of expected to probably have a few more goals than what we have. And, you know, obviously it was big for us the other night. Sean Rogers is a big part of that. Obviously, is the Toronto Rock captain. You've been with this organization for a while now. What do you like most about his leadership qualities? Well, he's a guy that leads by example. I mean, he doesn't say a whole lot. If anybody who knows John, he's not a guy that, you know, is the most vocal guy. But, you know, he comes, he works. I mean, anytime you go into the track, he's in there working at the gym. And, you know, he's just a, just a guy that just leads by example. He leads all out on the floor and, you know, kind of lets his actions do the talking. So, you know, he's been, uh, he's been a great uh, example for not only our young guys, but our veterans too of, you know, what happens when you put time in and, and, you know, and work at it. He is an old school lacrosse player. You could play him on either side of the ball. You could probably play a full three or four minute shift out there. Being able to be so versatile allows him to slide up and down your roster, especially the, the injuries you guys have had over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could plug him in just about anywhere. I mean, he played the top of our short man. He's out on our face-off team. You know, he's pushing the ball in transition. He's a shutdown D guy, you know, and then the last week, you know, we throw him out the O door and, you know, he doesn't uh, look any bit out of place. I mean, he shoots the ball so well. So, yeah, he, you know, he's so versatile. And when you got guys like that, it, it really, uh, you know, allows you to do a lot of different things, right? So uh, we're very fortunate we got a guy like Chow that can eat a lot of minutes and, and in different areas. Speaking of eating a lot of minutes, do you guys keep track of, time on floor. I know it's a new stat in the National Cross League this year, and, and he played just under about 25 and a half minutes in that game. As coaches, do you look at that? Is that a, an advanced stat that more coaches are now really starting to pay attention to since the league started keeping that stat? 
Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, since they've done it, we, we, we've, uh, you know, certainly kept our eye on it. I mean, we joked that at the start of the year that, you know, Challen might be playing about 45 minutes. And, you know, I think the other night was probably the one, the, the, the most minutes he's logged in a game. Um, but, yeah, it does have some, 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 some merit, I think. You know, you can kind of get a sense of who uh, teams are throwing out there, you know, certainly from, from a defensive standpoint, you know, who the guys that are logging big minutes and, and, and that. And so I do think there is some, some things that kind of, you know, gives, gives you a window into maybe some of the decisions that teams are making for sure. That game, you guys had an 11-5 lead going in, into the fourth quarter. You get outscored 4-1. to one. Is that a concern or is that just the nature of Halifax being a really talented team? Well, I think there's, you know, that's certainly part of it. I mean, they're a team that uh, has been had great four quarter, great fourth quarters all year long, and I think that was no exception. I think they're, you know, they seem to be in really good shape and kind of get better as the game goes on. I also thought it was a byproduct of sometimes when, you know, the score is a little bit inflated. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I think calls can maybe go their favor. I thought there was one or two penalties that, you know, were maybe in the, at different points might not have been called, but, you know, they're down. So, um, you know, I think that was a little bit of it too. You know, they got some uh, some power play goals and. You know, once you get momentum swings a little bit, it can be tough to stop. So, you know, I think it was a combination of both the things you mentioned. You talked about getting your transition game going. Scott Dominey got his first two goals of the season. How nice is it to see him be rewarded for his efforts playing in his fourth game? That's ah, great. I mean, he's a young guy, and, uh, you know, he worked at it really hard. I mean, I've had the, uh, the luxury of coaching Scott for many years now, back in Junior B and Junior A in Orangeville. And, you know, he's just been a kid who's just – slowly kind of get better and better and he's another one of those guys who who lives in the gym and i think it, you know you're starting to see you know a byproduct of you know the effort he puts away from the rink starting to translate on the floor and uh for me it was really nice to see i mean obviously you know kind of before game i said you know we want to kind of get our transition game going and you don't have to tell him that once uh once you make that that statement he's like okay i'm all in i'm ready to go up and down the floor and you know so it's to see him get rewarded for the Nick Rose is having another fantastic year. His numbers where they sit right now are, are the best he's ever had. 0.9 or 9.6 goals against, a uh, 0.809 save percentage. He still has doubters, though. Why do you think that is? I don't know what that, what that is, you know what I mean? Because he's always been a pretty steady uh, goalie in this league. I mean, he's never, you know, maybe been the, you know, the, the top in those categories, but he's always, like, you know, even along the – along the stat sheet, you know, he's in the top five usually every year. And, you know, so I'm not too sure why people, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe, you know, down on Rosie at times, but, you know, some of it is, is maybe he's never won at, at the NLL level too. And until you do that, you know, obviously there's probably going to be some people out there that doubt, but Rosie's been, you know, really focused this year and he's been sensational in, in some of the games. Like I go back to that San Diego game we had early in the year. Like he was, he was unbelievable early on to kind of get our feet under us. So, you know, he's been, uh, He's been really steady, and if we keep getting goaltending like that, you know, obviously uh, we're going to be extremely happy with that. You guys have a, a pretty unique dynamic uh, away from the National Crossing. He's the GM for your junior A team that you coach. What's that dynamic like, having roles reversed a little bit? Well, actually, you know, and, 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 and truth be told, I, I, I've taken on the GM role as well, and Rose the assistant GM, but, okay. um, you know, even even the last couple of years, it's – we've kind of ran that as a committee uh, in Orangeville and it's worked very well. Like we all leverage our different contacts and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 there's a lot of symmetry there. Like we, we, we're on the same uh, wavelength on just about everything. You know, we uh, obviously growing up in Orangeville, we kind of have our a way of doing things. And you think know, Rosie and I come from that same school and I think a lot of like on a lot of scenarios. So it works well. 
let's sort of stick with, with the summer ball. You had an up-close and personal chance to watch Zach Manns in the Minto Cup this past summer. What did you see in him then that maybe you're really being exposed to now? Well, I mean, you know, the thing that jumped, jumped out for me from watching him in the Minto Cup and playing against him, you know, right away, the first time I saw him, I'm like, look at this guy. He's got, like, massive, like, legs, big calves. You could just tell he was a he was an athlete, right? And, uh, you know, then I watched him in the Minto Cup, and, you know, he was shooting the ball, like, extremely well and, 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 a, and a array, a, a array of different shots, right, overhand, sidearm release. So you could tell that he had, you know, certainly a, a, an ability to, to shoot the ball and, and to create space and open up, you know, time to get his hands free, right? And um, so that would probably be the first things that jumped at me right away. You mentioned me a couple of days ago, and I know Dan Dawson has echoed these sentiments. His floor vision may be one of his most sneakiest traits. Without a doubt. I mean, go back to that game the other night. Like, there was one time Dan Dawson's player fell and lost his helmet, so he went running off. And, you know, I think, you know, somebody was all, that was easy, you know what I mean? But actually, he cut it out of the corner of his eye and found Dawson right away, and sure enough, it's in the back of the net. And then later on the power play, he's running from the crease spot up to the top. A lot of players just make that simple change to the top guy, whereas he found Dawson on the backside, and then again, it, it translated into another goal. So, yeah, you know, for me, that's been kind of a bit of a surprise is just how well he's seen the floor, especially as a young guy in this league. You know, a lot of times that stuff takes a little bit of time to develop, but uh, he's been a pleasant surprise for us, for sure. Were you surprised he was still there in the draft when, when you guys picked in the second round? Yes, I was, especially with, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of offensive lefties in the draft. You know, we kind of, I had talked to Zach before the uh, the draft and said, you know, we're interested in you, and I kind of thought maybe that might be at the 17 pick that we had and, and not a 27 or whatever that we took him at so when he was there we, it was a no-brainer we had, couldn't have filled that sheet in any faster you know get, to get Zach and because you know he filled the need but also you know I do think there's a, a huge upside with with his game with the you know the skill sets that he brings. Was there any friendly chirping back and forth during that Minto that you guys have chuckled about since? Actually uh, you know he, he mentioned that and I, I never chirped him once I do know the one game he was uh the first game we, we played them, first game of the tournament, you know, things got a little bit heated. And I think Josh Sanderson was actually the guy that maybe got after him a little bit, which is kind of funny. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly never really said much about the, about the Minnow Cup to him. I mean, uh, you know, that's a different thing. And he's on my side now. So, you know, I don't really want to get into that. But uh, uh, we, we have had, a, you know, a, a good time so far. Apparently he's wearing one leg sleeve because it makes him look fat. Can we get him to change that? Well, I mean, if that's the truth, I will maybe have to have a talk with him because uh, he doesn't need that one leg sleeve to look any faster. So uh, I'll follow away and have a conversation with him for you, Teddy. I appreciate that, my friend. We can't have one leg sleeve being represented by Victoria, guys. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, we got no comment on that. <laughs> okay. Um, this isn't a, a positive stat, but Jake Withers, we all know how good he is at, a face, at the faceoff. You guys were, I think, two for 24 in that game. As a coach, going up against a guy who's that dominant at the draw, how do you game plan for him winning that successive amount of face-offs? Well, I mean, you know, we watched a lot of film, and, you know, you, you try and kind of see if there's some tendencies. And, you know, the thing with him is he wins them all over the place. So it's really tough. If you start pushing guys this way or that way, you know, he's just so good, he puts it to another area. So we almost, I wouldn't say conceded, but we, you know, we wanted to take the very defensive approach of four back and, and just try and angle him and try and, you know, not let him create, you know, odd man opportunities off the face off because he's so good. And, 
Um, you know, obviously we were pretty successful for the most part, but they still scored one one goal off the faceoff, which was a little bit frustrating because that was the one thing, you know, we tried to, to limit is at least don't give them odd mans off the faceoff. You know, let's try and turn it into a bit of a scrum. But, you know, he, he's as good as uh, as there is at it right now. So, um, you know, uh, we give him uh, the utmost respect in that department. Sunday, fun day. A little bit of NLL action for you guys this weekend. You get Buffalo, who's in Vancouver Friday night. They're going to have to travel all the way back. You'll be waiting there for them. We all know that back-to-backs in the NLL don't really mean anything because the just adrenaline that happens in our league. But what's the game plan going into a team that's going to be traveling across the country? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird scenario. You know, it doesn't happen often that they're coming across and then there's a day in between. So they'll get an extra day of rest and kind of be able to, you know, acclimate to the time change and things like that. But, you know, I think our game plan, you know, will be – obviously we want to play fast and, and, and play an up-tempo style. I think that's uh, – you know, there's no secret there that we, you know, we pride ourselves on being an athletic bunch. And so, you know, we'll probably stick to that same game plan. But, you know, the biggest thing for us will probably to, you know, just take care of the ball. I think that's an area that we can still improve on. You know, we had a lot of turnovers uh, last week against Halifax. And you give, the you know, the guys that they've got on that offensive side of the ball more and more opportunities, you know, especially on unforced turnovers – you know, that's not a good recipe for success. So that'll be something that we'll focus on. And, you know, obviously Matt Vince is Matt Vince. We're going to have to find a way to get to the middle and, you know, create some good opportunities on him because, you know, there's nobody that's done it better in this league. Yeah, when you guys played them uh, a couple weeks ago, you, you lose 10-8, you're out loose balls 81-61. How important is getting those loose balls to create second possession so you can keep that defense on the floor and rest your guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think uh, nine times out of ten, if you look at stat lines, quite often the team that, you know, wins that possession game, you know, gives themselves a much better chance. So, you know, uh, if we can make their, their defense, especially if they've already played on Friday night, you know, to get out there a little bit more, you know, obviously I think that that, that would bode well for us. But, uh, you know, every game's a little different, but, uh, you know, that'll be certainly something that we're, we're always focusing on is trying to, trying to, you know, win the possession game. There he is, Bruce Codd, defensive coach of the Toronto Rock. And the possession game is one that is obviously very important. You can look at the finite stats within the game. Face-offs, loose balls, second chance possessions, reset possessions. You have to do all the little things combined to make your team successful. And sometimes one category will outweigh another. But if you can keep a pretty fair balance of all the intangibles, your team is generally going to have a lot of success and lately the Toronto Rock have been doing just that they've had a couple tough bounces go their way or go against them I guess they didn't really go their way but as I said they're four and two they lost their first game they've won four of their last five and they have a massive game against the Buffalo Bandits this weekend the Bandits will be traveling across the country they get a day off in between but it's still not going to be easy going east to west and then west to east to have to play a lacrosse game takes its toll very mentally and physically draining and if you're the Toronto Rock you're going to want to make sure that you jump all over the Buffalo Bandits early any team would be wanting to do that jump over a team as early as you can put them on their back foot don't Let them get the energy going. That's a 3 p.m. Eastern time start in Toronto on Sunday. 
As mentioned, we are at the halfway mark of the season as we turn to week 11. Friday night, Buffalo at Vancouver. Two of the hottest teams in the league right now. Buffalo winner of four straight, including back-to-back overtime wins. Vancouver coming off two huge wins over Colorado. Then they had that couple-week break. And then they go across the country and knock off New England as they had New England another loss. And we had Adam Levy on the show a couple weeks ago. And he said that if Vancouver can keep up this defensive effort that they had against Colorado, put it to use against New England, this is a playoff team. They're sitting just outside of the playoffs as we speak. But the way they are playing is the best lacrosse this franchise has played in the last four or five seasons. So it will be interesting to see how they combat a very high-powered offense like the Buffalo Bandits. Colorado's not a very high-scoring team, and they held them to, what, five goals? New England is a team that can put up numbers and they held them to six goals. Now they're going to go up against a Buffalo team that puts up numbers. They've got 78 goals over their first six games. That's what, 11 point something a game? My math is terrible. Maybe 12? Nope. 11 point something, just shy of 12 a game. Getting myself confused here with numbers. But you're going up against a team with Dane, Fraser, Byrne, Smallsy. Those guys will burn you for 10 on their own. Plus their transition game loves to put the ball in the back of the net. So this is a very big test for the Vancouver Warriors. At home, Trying to build some momentum. Let's see if they can put it together. I like Buffalo. Saturday night, Colorado at Saskatchewan. This is the third game between these two clubs. The series decider, it's 1-1. The away team has won both games. Both games have been very, very interesting. The first one was uh, a one or two goal game. The second game, you remember Saskatchewan jumped out to that big lead only to have Colorado just find a second gear out of nowhere and come back and outscore them, what, 12-3 or 12-4 the rest of the way, something like that? Unfortunately, I, I'm st- <laughs> this Colorado team is the big one of the biggest Jekyll and Hyde stories of the season. They'll look good for spurts, and then they'll look terrible for spurts. And I don't know what it is. I know they're still struggling to find an offensive quarterback. I know they're dealing with putting different guys in and out of the lineup. It's just an anomaly. The defense was picked apart by San Diego this past weekend. And and I have a feeling teams will go back and watch what Josh Sanderson's offense did to have success and use that as a recipe going forward. Now, Andrew McBride will conversely have to go back and watch that tape and understand why they were being picked apart so easily and what they can do to prevent that. 
These two teams always play very close, low-scoring defensive games. I think it's going to be another one. I got to take Colorado. Calgary at New York. I think Calgary is the better team. They are losers of three straight, but I don't think they're going to lose a game at home to the New York Riptide. I just don't think Kurt Miloski lets it happen. Two Sunday games. Both Vancouver and Buffalo will have to travel east on Saturday. Vancouver's got to go a little bit further to get to Rochester. That extra travel, that extra bus ride, that extra day off. I like Rochester at home. I have no idea if it's going to be Steve Fryer in net or if it's going to be Ryland Hartley in net or if it's going to be Craig Wendy in net. Nobody knows. But I think Rochester will be ready for that game. And then Buffalo at Toronto. I know Saskatchewan, Colorado is the NLL game of the week on BR Live, Facebook, and Twitter. But Buffalo, Toronto, Sunday is the game of the week. That is going to be an absolute slobber knocker. They've already played once this year. They're going to play again. And I think it's going to be just as physical, mean, and aggressive as the first game. That is your week 11. Before we get to Rick Soul. Because I absolutely love our conversation. I asked Bruce Codd about the intensity within some of these divisional games and even the outer divisional games. The intensity I've noticed is picking up in our league. Now, I don't know if that is because of the divisional alignments. I don't know if that's because of the new playoff format. I don't know if there's just a added sense of hatred and anger amongst the league this year. But more frequently in the last few weeks, we're starting to see tempers boil and the intensity in these games amp up. And I am all for it. I think we need that hatred and that anger and that meanness in our sport. We don't need stupidity. We don't need the ultra-aggressive alpha male. We don't need that. Physicalness, intensity, hatred. Those build rivalries. Those build passion. Those build momentum. And when you can have these types of games and games that, as Bruce said, are starting to mean more in the regular season because of the new playoff structure and the new divisional alignment, it's only adding to better lacrosse. And halfway through this season, I don't think anybody could have predicted this is how the standings would be playing out. But it's only going to make for a better second half. Now, when I first learned of pro indoor lacrosse, I have to go back to 1992 and the Detroit Turbos versus Baltimore Thunder MILL championship game. It was on ESPN slash ABC. It was Leif Elsmo, and I'm not sure who his color commentator was at the time calling the game, but the game was in Baltimore. It was a sold-out crowd. It was the Gate Brothers. It was Neil Doddridge, Ted Sawicki, Pete Park. 
Jeff Gumbar, Jeff Jackson, and a guy named Rick Soule. And we all can agree as lacrosse people that especially back then to see a person of color, an African-American, a black man playing the game of lacrosse was rare. When I grew up watching, I only knew of Alton Davis playing lacrosse as a black man. Yes, we have indigenous people playing our sport. We have East Indians playing our sport. We have Asians playing our sport. We have Europeans playing our sport. We have Jewish people playing our sport. Our sport is global. But the diversity in our sport still hasn't quite gotten there. So when I watched that game in 92 and I saw Rick Soule playing, I was a little taken aback. And to see him be as effective and dominant as he was and talking to guys like Jeff Gumbar, who's my brother-in-law, and Steve Dietrich and Neil Dodger, guys who played against Rick Soule, all comment about not his color, not him being a quote-unquote only in the sport of lacrosse. They talked about his incredible personality, his incredible skill set, and how amazing of a lacrosse player was. And those are all the things we should be talking about. But with it being Black History Month, we need to go back and look at the role a guy like Ricky Soule had in the game of lacrosse. Him and Billy D. Smith, I believe, are the only two African-American captains in the National Lacrosse League history, dating back to the MILL, even probably dating back to the Eagle Pro Box League. He's the first African-American head coach in NCAA lacrosse. He's one of only three coaches to take three different teams to the NCAA tournament. And he is just an amazing, an amazing human being. It's an honor to have him on the show. It's an honor to talk about his past, his present, his future, and the growth of the game of lacrosse within the black community, what it means to him to be a pioneer for young black men like Trevor Baptiste, Miles Jones, Kyle Harrison, the Woodson brothers. The game is growing, but we need to go back and look at where we've been so we continue to grow with those who help grow it. Rick Soule was a member of the Baltimore Thunder for five years. He played a season with the Washington Wave. He's coached at Georgetown, Stony Brook, the Naval Academy, and now he's continued to coaching the future of our game. Please enjoy our discussion. It is very poignant. It is very in-depth, and it is one that I will remember forever. Rick Soule and I begin our discussion talking about 1992, the Baltimore Thunder, and the world of spandex in lacrosse. Uh, well, you know, there was, I think, six teams back then. And um, I just remember it, I guess, I mean, pretty much like our sport as it's growing over the last 20, 30 years, but still remains somewhat, 
you know, smaller. Um, I just remember it being more, you know, kind of paternity like. Um, of course, back then, and I, I, the MLL I think started. I forget the exact year, 1980, maybe 86, 85. Forget what year, but I, so it was a pretty new thing, you know, indoor lacrosse. Um, so most of the most of the players um, were American back at that time. And uh, so, of course, we knew each other. And so it was just more of a fraternity playing this game that we didn't grow up playing. Um, you know, we, of course, you know, grew up playing outdoors. Although I will tell you, I didn't start playing lacrosse, Teddy, until I was in 10th grade. And so I, I hadn't really, you know, I'm like a lot of guys I played against who, you know, grew up playing it much younger. And, of course, nowadays, um, you know, starting off playing in 10th grade, man, you're, you're way, way behind the eight ball. So, um you know, so I just remember it just being just awesome going into these indoor stadiums, these, you know, professional, you know, hockey arenas, uh, great crowds. Philly was, you know, tremendous crowd. Buffalo was notorious for having just great, rowdy, you know, packed houses. And, and that was a thrill to play um, in, in, in front of that environment and, um, you know, playing, um, you know, competitive lacrosse. So um, it was a lot of fun. My hips, my jaws, my ribs feel a lot better all these years later <laughs> but um it certainly was um just a whole lot of fun I, re- I remember it is it was a completely different era of professional indoor lacrosse than we've seen now and you know and i'm not just talking about the spandex this is a completely different <laughs> era uh, of athletes of style of lacrosse obviously the game now is more predominantly canadian than american but those yep. early days had to have been a lot of fun just because, like you said, there were a lot of Americans that knew each other. The, the amount of Canadians was less. You only, only allowed to have a couple of, on each team. But when you became a part of the Baltimore Thunder, you guys really started something special there. Yeah, we, we were pretty good. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't know if you probably don't remember, but I originally was um, picked up um, by the Washington Wave. Right. Um, and uh, they were the Washington Wave before Pittsburgh. And then they moved to Pittsburgh and became the Pittsburgh Bulls, I think they were. But, um, and so I, and I, I just graduated from college and I was coaching at my, I was coaching, I had to finish up some school. So I decided to coach um, where I attended college. That was Washington College. And um, you know, next thing I know, I get, you know, picked up by the Washington Wave. And it was later in the season. And I went out and remember, you know, you know, practicing a couple of times and, you know, obviously a, a totally different game than what I was uh, used to. Um, heck, I was just barely, you know, getting used to playing field across. Um, yeah. and, and all of a sudden I was trying this indoor sport. So I, I ended up playing one year there and then I got traded. Um, Daryl Russell, who was, um, I forget, he had a role with the Washington Wave. He became the general manager of the um, Baltimore Thunder and that's when he traded for me. And so, you know, I, I went up there and played, I think, for another five years or so. And um, we had a pretty good team. We had a pretty good team. Unfortunately, we ran into, um, you know, the wings a couple times. And, of course, um, you know, the the the, the, uh, the, the, the Detroit Turbos um, and two guys, you, two names you've probably heard before, you know, brothers, you know, twin, twin brothers, Paul and, Paul and Gary came onto the team. Um they were um, obviously they grew up playing the sport, so they were, you know, going. Indoor to them was, you know, sort of like coming back home, and 
Um, man, were they good. But um, we had a nice little run there. We won a lot of games. We were competitive, um, played, you know, two championships. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, I just, um, you know, just I, I keep using that word fun because it really was, um, it was a new thing and, 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 and traveling around, um, not per se the country, but, you know, we, you know, East Coast, we went out, we brought the, to Detroit, and um, so that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, yeah, we had a pretty good run there with the, with the, with the Baltimore Thunder. Paul and Gary are from my hometown of Victoria, so I was able to grow up watching them. But wow, that, that 92 game between you guys and Detroit, I think it was 92, um, that, that final game in Baltimore, that was yep. really the first professional MILL game I had ever seen because it was on ESPN and Leif Elmo was doing the play-by-play. It was an absolute gong show of a game, and it, it was phenomenal. And, and like you said, that was my first exposure of that. And you said, you know, you kind of ran into the Gate Brothers. But everybody that I talked to, when, when, when talking about you, they mentioned that you were able to go maybe not toe-to-toe, but you held your own against those guys. And for, for a guy that only playing the sport of lacrosse for a handful of years, what allowed you to take lacrosse so quickly? Do you think? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Teddy. I mean, I was—I benefited from um, some some great coaches. Uh, my my high school coach, um, you know, actually my high school coach is I will include my assistant coach. He played at Cornell. Um, the head coach played at Hobart, um, and so I, I, you know, again, I, and, and it was my high school coach who actually talked me into playing. I was a baseball player up until that point, and I. I played other sports as well, football and, and basketball. And um, he had just come to my school district, started teaching, I think, when I was in eighth grade. Long story short, he saw me as an athlete. And, um, you know, he, he sought out to convince me to play lacrosse. Now, it took him, a, it took him, a, it took him, I think he started work, and we talk about this all the time uh, when I see him, before, um, which isn't that often, but when we do catch up with each other, we, 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 um, you know, love to relive from, you know, the old, you know, old days, the old stories, but um, football ended in whenever it was November. And so from November till about March, I swear every day he was in my ear trying to convince me to play the sport of lacrosse. And um, he's trying to explain, Teddy, if you can believe it or not, I did not even see the sport before I began playing it. Um, and he's trying to explain it to me and, and telling me back then they had wooden shafts and, He's saying, yeah, you know, it's wooden shafts and you can, you can hit, you can slap, you know, you know, you know, you can hit people and poke check. And I'm looking at him like, really? With a wooden stick? Um, how, how did that happen? And, and um, out of respect for him, because the other sports that I played for him, he, we, we were successful. He was a, he was a hard coach, tough coach, um, you know, and, and so, but at the end of the day, we were successful. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give this sport a try. Um, and so I, I was, I benefited from some great coaching early on. And then I went to college and it carried and continued on. Uh, as I said, I did go to Washington college, although I did spend two years in a junior college up in New York before coming down to Maryland, um, and, and graduating and playing two years for, for, um, coached by the name of Kerry Corcoran, um, uh, who's another one of my mentors to even to this day. And so I, I benefited from great coaching um, I, and, and let's be honest, I fell in love with the sport. I mean, I was yeah. really, really into it, you know. And so, 
um, you know, going up in against the gates, I mean, obviously it was a heck of a challenge. Um, uh, you know, what they did at Syracuse was just phenomenal. What they did for our game, um, just really, um, you know, just the exposure that our game benefited from, you know, the two of them. And so I, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm give, trying to give you a long-winded answer to your question in terms of, you know, how I was able to hang with them. Um, I, I, you know, I have to, you know, give credit to some, some – even though the coaching was different from indoor to outdoor, I get that. But still, um, you know, I just learned the basic fundamentals of playing the sport and, and um, you know, the fact that I really, um, you know, jumped into it with, you know, both feet and, and, and you know, and committed to it. I mean, I was a lacrosse rat, to be honest with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I played fall, ball, you know, summer. You know, I, I, if there was a game to be played, I was going to play it. And so that helped, of course, accelerate my development. Um, and then, of course, you know, again, playing, you know, indoors and having to adjust, uh, you know, obviously to a different game. It just kind of took to it, um, and, and I don't know if even basketball contributed to it a little bit too. Maybe um, you know the up and down. Um, you know, be, in basketball, you have to play. You have to play both ends of the floor. Um, although you do win shifts in indoor lacrosse, I get that. But you're stuck out playing defense there from time to time, and I really enjoyed that. I, I really did. So um, you know, so I, you know, all, all told, um, you know, it, it, it you know, uh, you know. It was, um, you know, a career that um, I look back on and, and um, I will never forget. You hear a lot of NCAA coaches now clamoring about the, the, the skills of Canadian players in tight in the field game. Did you notice those skills improving uh, while you were playing the indoor game as well? No question. No, no doubt about it. Um, you know, just the phenomenal stick, stick skills that the Canadians had, you know. I mean, um, you could tell a Canadian player back in those early days for sure. But that's something that, um, you know, again, trying to, um, you know, playing a, a you know, different, somewhat of a different game, it's not outdoors. And, and um, you know, your stick work's got to be precise. Your, you know, your, your, your uh, in terms of passing and catching, of course, scoring on that daggone goal with you know, with the goalie, you know, padded up like the you know the Michelin man, you know, I mean that was just a, you know, talk about a challenge, you know, within itself. So it definitely um, improved my stick skills for the outdoor game. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, the Canadians, I mean, they you know they catch you know just some of the things that you know just catching the, the balls that they would catch in traffic, and of course the the, the heads. Uh, you know, we're a little, you know, you can, you could, you could pinch the heads, you know, mm-hmm, that ball, mm-hmm. that ball is coming out, you know, it's coming right out. You know, you don't have as much wiggle week, um, room as you would with an outdoor stick. So, um, I, um, you know, I, you know, I kind of followed the leaders, you know, I looked and saw what they were doing. And, mm-hmm. and um, of course, the more I played, you know, you, you know, like anything, the more you practice it, the, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, um, you know, the better you're going to get at, at whatever it is you're, you're doing. And, 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 I, and I like to think that I did take it to maybe another level because I fell in love with the sport. And so, um, you know, I was motivated to, um, you know, to, to, to continue to improve and, and, you know, hopefully not make a fool out of myself when, you know, I, I, I ran out there on, on, the, on game day. When you look back at, at pictures from those old MILL days with uh, the high socks and the bubble cages and 
the Brian bulky gloves and the short spandex <laughs> shorts. Do you wonder what the hell you guys were thinking? Oh my God. When you said spandex, I, I just can't help but laugh. You know, at the beginning of this, I'm like, oh my God, the spandex, you know, and, uh, but you nailed it though, because, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the tight shorts, you know, the tie, you know, you know, it's just the helmet, you know, the whole gig. Um, yeah. You know, as I do look back, I, I laugh, you know, I, I laugh. as a matter of fact, it's funny that we are actually, um, we're having this conversation because, um, my best friend's son is a junior, um, and um, they, they live up in Connecticut. But um, apparently, he and my my best friend in the summer were having a conversation, and my name, came, you know, he they, my name came up about me playing indoor lacrosse, which um, my, is my godson. Um, Jake didn't know that I played, and so um, so my buddy Mike wanted me to send some pictures up to Jake. So I had to. I, I, I literally maybe a week and a half ago. I was going through, just kind of going through some pictures and laughing, you know, and just looking at, as you, you know, the shorts and the helmets and the whole bed. And I sent him a couple of pictures and uh, we, you know, we got a laugh out of it, but, um, but yeah, yeah. It, um, now I don't know what, what, what are they wearing? What are they wearing these days? I'm sure that I'm, I know they're not wearing spandex, but no, uh, no, just, just regular shorts, my man. They're just wearing regular, regular shorts. shorts. Okay. Yeah, they, they let the pads grow a little bit. They let the shorts grow a little bit. So we're not looking like 80s rock stars anymore. You know, by the way, not to get off into another topic, although we might eventually get back on this. Yeah. Um, but I'm flipping around on my phone uh, maybe yesterday, and, I'm, uh, and I look at Lacrosse Magazine, and I'm, I'm scrolling down, and they I don't know what they call it. You know, it's kind of the – it was Wednesday, so they called it something of the day, news of the day. And I see that Kevin Crawley scored his 300th goal for the for the uh, for the Philadelphia the uh, for the Philadelphia Wings. I don't know if you knew I coached Kevin Crawley. At, yeah, that, was, that we were going to get there. We were going to get there, but I, we're all about talking. About, you had Kevin Crowley, you had Kyle Belton, and you had uh, Jordan McBride at your time at Philly. Jordan McBride, yes, I did. He's still playing and too. I had Robbie Campbell, I had Robbie yeah. Campbell too. Yeah. Played, Played on the Canadian under nineteen team all those years ago, and Kyle Belton, and um, and uh, so yeah, I'm like, holy smokes, Calvin, three hundred goals, it was a one hander. He, he mm-hmm. was a guy all on his back, and he, he caught it one handed and, and shoveled it in, and um, and it was a three hundredth goal, and I was like, dang on, Kev, go on with your bad self. Do you, um, do you keep in contact with those guys? I do a little bit, you know, Jordan will, um, you know, Jordan, cause Jordan, man, Teddy, I mean, you want to talk about my career, um, my coaching career, be it at Stony Brook and then, um, you know, at Navy for eight years, if I had to really, if you put a, you know, if you said, you know, who was responsible, you know, if there are any players that, you know, really, you know, helped you as a coach, um, it was, it was, it was Jordan McBride. When I recruited Jordan McBride, because um, he was the one who turned me on to Kevin Crawley. He was like, Coach, you know, I'm one of my buddies. You might want to look at this guy. And, of course, I, he sent me film, and the rest is history. But, um, but, but yeah, Jordan, Jordan and I still keep it. And then Kevin as well. I mean, we'll go back. It's been a, it's been a while, probably a year. Probably, geez, I mean, you know, time flies. Um, but um, I, did a, um, I did a last year at the um, NCW, at the um, – uh, NCAA coaches convention uh, we had, I spoke about, um, about scoring and offense. And um, I, I reached out to Kevin and Jordan 
and I just said, hey, you know, there's a reason why I'm here. And I said, it's you two. I spoke about the game of lacrosse and how the Canadians, the impact they've had um, over the over the last 10, 15 years. I, I called it the Canadian invasion. Um, and I just talked about um, how a lot of my philosophy on, on as I approach offense, you know, attacking the middle of the field, you know, because you got to, you know, you know, unlike and in, in, you know, very similar to indoors, where if you if you're going down the pipes, you're going on the alleys, you ain't you you have no you have you have very little chance of scoring, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to attack the middle of the field and and the scoring, you know. I had you know I have like a little, I I designed a little scoring area, a little a, a bigger, I guess essentially a bigger crease um, that I called my scoring zone, and and a lot of what I do as a coach offensively stems from. Uh, my experience as a player and playing indoors. Um, and then of course, coaching the Canadian players as I did for five or six years at, at Stony Brook and the impact they had, not only, you know, you know, myself, but I, and the program, which ultimately led to me becoming the coach at, at, at Navy. So it's been, I guess, a little over a year since I, like Kevin and I have contacted back and forth, but Jordan he'll, out of the blue, he'll just send me a text just saying, Hey coach, what's up? Um, I think the last time he had, he has two kids. Uh, he let me know that he had the second child. Um, and so, yeah, those two, um, um, you know, I don't like to say favorites, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're like your kids for the most part, you know, players, but you know, those two, the impact that they had, um, you know, on, uh, you know, on me as a coach, just being great guys, but also tremendous players and, and um, how that affected my coaching and changed my coaching philosophy uh, specifically on the offensive end. You've talked about leadership and um, guys you looked up to. When, when you were first starting in the game, as a, a young black man, grade 10, there weren't a lot of people of color playing the game of lacrosse. So who, who were some of the people that you looked up to? You talked to some of your coaches, uh, you know, about some of your coaches that were really impactful. But, you know, like Jim Brown, sure. maybe one of the first guys, before your time that really played the game that you could see as a, um, a role model for you personally? Who were some of the, the people around you that, that helped keep you motivated in a sport that was really predominantly played by, by white men? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And, um, I, you know, I, I grew up near, near Hobart. I, was, I grew up like an hour, I guess, an hour or so south of, of, of um, Hobart. I grew up probably... 35, 40 minutes from, from Cornell. So, um, I, you know, my, my coach, as I told you, my height, my head coach played at Hobart and the assistant coach, Keith Reitenbach played at Cornell. And so I would watch, I would go and watch, um, you know, we wouldn't see him a lot, but maybe one or two games a year, you know, we would get up to go see um, both Hobart and Cornell play. And, and so, Mark Menarsdale, uh, Mark Menarsdale, um, or excuse me, Mark Darkangelo. I'm, I'm sorry, Mark Darkangelo. Getting my getting my marks um, <laughs> confused. confused. Mark Menarsdale, a good buddy of mine, who played at Hobart with me, graduated the same year I did. But um, Mark Menars, uh, Mark Darkangelo um, was a midfielder. Um, just you know, just a you know. Just fun to watch. You know, mm-hmm. it was fun to watch. And then we watched Cornell. That's back when Cornell. Um, Geez, my name, my um, the name is escape. Who played at Cornell? Canadian who was the stud. Um, oh, geez, um, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, who um, Mike French? Mike French. Oh, right, of um, course, yeah, the legend. Played at Cornell. You know that. So I, that was those years. You know, and um, so those guys. You know, but you know, as a tenth grader, 
again, um, you know, not seeing a lot of cop. And back then, it wasn't on TV at all. So mm-hmm. we had to actually literally drive, you know, to go see the game live. So, um, you know, it was for the most part, it was Mark Archangelo, um, and um, you know, then you know, just but you know, it's funny because you know, as I got into college, and I'm you know starting to pay a little bit more attention to. Um, you know the you know the better players out there during my during my era. Um, you admire some guys, you know that you're that you're playing against. Um, you know, yeah, you you know you're gonna if you're pl- actually competing against them. Um, you know you're gonna you know you're gonna compete as hard as you can. But um, you know there were some players back. Um, you know, because Mark Mark D'Angelo was older than I was. I never played against him. Um, but there were some players, you know, the John Tuckers, who was, you know, pretty darn yeah. good, you know, and, and um, um, you know, just a, some other guys that I, you know, got to know and just appreciated, um, you know, like their skill set and what they brought to the game. So, um, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't the fifth, five, six, seven year old looking up and, you know, from that perspective, you know, and gawking right. like, oh my God, you know, there, there goes, uh, you know, there goes Michael Jordan. Um, but, um, you know, there were certainly a number of guys that, um, I really, um, enjoyed watching and, and I, you know, obviously the Gate brothers were two of them, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know they're a little younger than I, I, I am, maybe you're, you're a couple years younger. Um, you know, that phenomenon that came out was like, holy smokes. I mean, that's lacrosse at its highest, <laughs> at its highest level. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, um, so yeah, there's just a number of guys that I just really, you know, and I tried to be honest with you, Teddy, I tried to take a little bit from their game, you know, like, Oh man, I like that. Let's see if I can incorporate that to my game. And, and, uh, as I mentioned, again, I was, this was all new to me and, and, um, you know, I was continued to develop and, and hone my skills and, and broaden my horizon, if you will. Um, and, um, that's, that's, that's how I went about it. What does it mean to you when you look back to those times, and being one of the only black players in the league and one of the pioneers for a, a generation of players now that is, that is still trying to find a role in our sport. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where and it's almost, it's very, I guess, very, I guess similar to, um, you know, even, even coaching mm-hmm. and being, I was the first African-American first black um, um, division one, um, lacrosse, you know, head, you know, head coach in the history of the sport. And, yeah. um, you know, that was, you know, it was one of the things where during going through it, it's like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I won't, I, I wasn't as, I wasn't as, um, probably, uh, I didn't think as much about it at the time. I, you know, it was one of the things where it's like down the year, years down the road, where you look back, you know, and be like, Oh yeah. But it was cool at the time. And very similar to me being one of the very few black players. Um, and, um, and then, you know, years later, talking to guys, um, you know, that, that looked up to me that I didn't even know, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, that they, they would see me and they'd be like, Rick Saul, you know, you, you know, I used to love watching you play and it was awesome, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, um, and I don't know if I was being naive, uh, um, to some extent, um, and, um, because I was, you know, I was very generous and, uh, you know, if there's black kids out there playing, you know, I would, I was always trying to help, you know, help from that perspective. Um, 
Um, but I guess I didn't know that I meant that much, you know, and that I did have that much impact. And again, that sounds naive, um, you know, as I'm saying it, but, um, and then when people tell me years later, uh, and I still get it to this day, as a matter of fact, not too long ago, I don't say not too long ago, maybe back in the fall, maybe even the summer, um, my wife, my wife's playing tennis and, um, and, you know, Someone saw her last name, Soul, and, and um, you know, some guy comes up to her and says, are you related to the Soul? There's the Soul we played at Washington College, you know, you know, back in the 80s. He was awesome, and I loved Ooh. playing for him. I, he was my idol. I looked up to him, you know, and, and my wife comes home and tells me that story, and I'm like, holy cow, wow, that's cool. Um, and so uh, it's, 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 it's a it's, – it's a, um, and I, and I'll use the word cool again. It's a cool mm. position to be in. I don't, I think it's, you know, I was like, ah, oh, that's neat. Um, and, uh, but, um, you know, back, you know, when I was playing, um, I guess I wasn't, you know, thinking about myself in that way. Um, but, um, you know, so it's just one of those things that, um, over the years, the more I sit back and think about it, the more, um, I, I do, um, you know, I feel good about who I am and what and, and, and how I played and that people would look up to me and and they would appreciate how I played and what I brought to the table and how that impacted them when, you know, when they were growing up. That was one of the things that my brother-in-law, Jeff Dunbar, your former goalie with the Baltimore Thunder, said about you is that while you were a fantastic player on the floor, your time that you gave to people off the floor and your kindness and your generosity and your humbleness was probably your best asset. And he couldn't have stopped speaking highly enough of you. It was a phenomenal conversation we had. Do you think that that, that humbleness helped you deal with some of the things that may have been said to you? Because I know I read an article where you said you didn't hear a lot of racial slurs when you were playing, but it was probably, it had to have been there at times. Oh, no question it was there. No question, I had to deal with. Um, I had to deal with, you know, some 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 things, um, and um, you know, there was even a few times, and, and you know, and I, I, it's one of those things I don't talk about too much, but um, and it's only because it, you know, people don't ask me. I, I don't mind talking about it because you know it's a fact. You know, I mean, I was one of very few African Americans in our sport, um, and. I had an unbelievable, fun career. I use that word fun again for about the 10th time. Um, you know, don't regret anything, any decision that I made to play lacrosse at any level and, you know, you know eventually coach and, 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 and you know, the, 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 you know, all the great things that have come my way in terms of meeting my wife, having kids. You know my, you know my best friends in the world. You know I just have a, a, a just a bunch of just a great buddies. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them are white, um, and so that just far far outweighs you know some of the things I did have to deal with. But the fact of the matter is, I did have to deal with some things. And 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 I'll tell you what, Teddy, what made me even, you know, I guess just so I guess humbled. One thing about humbled. Um, and, and people have asked me over the years, you know, like what was one of your favorite moments, you know, um, you know, as an athlete growing up. And I, I was fortunate enough to win some games in overtime and and those sorts of things, and and had some, you know, just some games that, you know, a lot of points and you know have had a high impact on the game. But the number one 
and it will always be number one, and, and it's probably not even, you know, it, it, you know, it's not second, just far away. It was not even a close second. Experience that I had on the lacrosse field was when I was in college. I was a senior, was I a senior or junior? I forget what year I was, but we were playing a playoff game, and I was having a good day, and um, you know, I score a goal, and next you know, someone you know, does get up into my face and starts to try to, you know, you know, intimidate me and get me off my, get me off my game, so to speak. And, and, um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, like, what do I do? You know, the officials are going back to set, to do the, you know, the face off. So they weren't really looking down. I was playing attack. I would, mm-hmm. when I was in college, I would play attack for the fast breaks, you know, for the face offs. And then I, yeah. would, you know, eventually get to the midfield, um, my coach wanted me to be the point on the fast break. So I was on attack and, uh, again, you know, player comes up, opponent comes up and gets in my face and starts, you know, saying some things. And, and, um, so I reacted, I'll be honest. I reacted. Um, yeah. and, but the rest didn't see it. Um, before you know it, there was a little scrum. And so my coach called the timeout. And so, you know, we all go over, you know, to, to him and, um, and he was great. It wasn't like he was like, Rick, what are you doing? He didn't know what really was going on until yeah. I told him. And, I, and once I told the team what had happened, the game went from a close game to we blew them out. There are, you know, my teammates, they were so, they were so ticked off. And my coach set me down. He wanted to cool me. He wanted to cool me off a little bit. So he just set yeah. me out for a little bit, you know. And um, we went on a run. That was unbelievable, and um, and awesome. so that that's one of the proudest moments, you know. Where it's like, man, my teammates had my back, you know, and um, you know, wasn't any goals that I scored in overtime to win, you know. That those were fun. Don't get me wrong; mm-hmm. those were a lot of fun. Um, but when uh, I saw the reaction of my teammate, and and, and um, you know, we had guys who didn't score. I remember, you know, we had guys who never worked scored, you know, running out there scoring goals, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, holy smokes, you know. So that. That that just you know that told me um, you know really you know what my teammates felt about me and um, one of the proudest moments it, it is the proudest moment it is the proudest number one moment in terms of just experiences on lacrosse field um, you know seeing the reaction on my teammates um, and so that 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 that's cool and and uh, so um, um, you know but like I said there wasn't a lot of those um, and. Um, uh, you know the, you know all the all the good things that I got out of this sport and continue to get out of the sport um, just you know so outweigh the, the few, you know the few incidents that I've had and you know you know whatever you want to call the knuckleheads that yeah. um, you know were saying things that tried to get me off my game for whatever reason. Um, that's just you know I, I, I don't like to I, you know at the end of the day I hate to say it's fact of life you know African Americans are going to have to deal. Eventually, um, even though it's, you know, 2020 and not, you know, you know, 18, you know, 1865, you know, um, things have come a long way. Um, no doubt about it. They've come a long way. I think we still have a long way to go. Um, and things are going to happen. And, and so unfortunately they did. Um, but, um, you know, overall it was, uh, the, you know, me playing the sport and, and, and coaching in the sport. Um, if I had to do it all, all over again, I, I would do it in a second. We see the, the, the tagline grow the game through our sport so often. And 
There's no doubt that our game has continued to grow coast to coast, pole to pole, all across the world. But the, yep. the diversity of our sport is still trying to catch up. But we've seen programs like Hampton, uh, a traditionally black college, get their program back, one of the first in over 30 years. Kyle Harrison uh, was the first non-white player to win the Two Arts and Award. How special is it yep. for you to see and other people of color and other African-Americans to see guys like Trevor Baptiste and Miles Jones and Kyle Harrison and, and all these young people of color representing the sport as if it is their own. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It is, it is awesome. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the game is growing, um, you know, coast to coast and, you know, um, you know, again, you know, the, you know, the influence that the Canadians have had on, 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 on the outdoor game, the college game, um, and then the professional, the professional game as well. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, diversity still, you know, we're still trying to catch up and, and that is such, man, you know, it is a complicated, um, you know, sure situation. Um, you know, how do you grow it? Um, cause you know, let's be honest, um, when you're younger, you want to look up and see, you know, people like you doing, you know, do, you know, doing things to, 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 to make you believe or make you think that, man, I could, you know, he's doing it. Maybe someday I could do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, there's more, more, more and more, there's more and more of that taking place in terms of what, you know, the back black plan, but um, I don't think there's anyone, um, you know, in terms of you know older people or coaches or administrators or people who are very involved in the sport who doesn't think that you know it still needs it still is behind you know at the mm. end of the day that's that's the fact and again how do you try to you know to 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 increase it um you know at a faster rate than it's gone i mean that's that's you know, we could talk for, for hours and hours about about that and the different solutions and suggestions and ideas um but you know, as you as you mentioned, the Kyle Harris's Harris Harrisons of the world, and the Trevor Baptiste and Miles Jones, and um, you know, so it, it's fun to you know. I coach a young man's Naval Academy, Grayson Terrain. Holy smokes, he's you know one of the best athletes I've ever coached. Um, just tremendous. So um, you know, it's um, you know, it's getting there. Um, it's great to see those guys, and of course, the way our sport is now being. Um, you know, the exposure that we're getting, you know, with the indoor, pro, the, the, you know, you got the, you know, the indoors, but, you know, you got the two outdoor pro leagues now, you got the mm-hmm. MILL and the PLL and, and, you know, the TV, expo- um, you know, exposure that they're getting, hopefully we'll continue to chip away and, and, um, you know, we'll, you know, another five, 10 years, we'll, we'll find, you know, more and more blacks um, playing the sport. What's next for Rick Soul? Obviously, you know, your, your tenure with Navy ended a little earlier than you were hoping to, um, but you, yep. you're still, uh, you know, the, the first coach to take three Division One programs to the tournament. You're, you, you mentioned you were the first black coach in Division One. What's on the horizon for you? Are you wanting to get back into the coaching game? Are you kind of happy spending some time with the wife and kids? Well... My my wife and kids probably aren't happy spending time with me. That's for sure. <laughs> right? Especially especially this time of the year, you know. I mean, I've gone through. I mean, I, I've been fine. I'll be honest. I've been I've mm-hmm. been fine. But yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah, there's some. You know, there's you some miss time, it. Especially, you miss it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Fall ball, you know, no, you know, during the summer was one thing, but once fall hit and I knew that, Hey, you know, the boys are back and there's an, you know, the, the freshmen yeah. are in and I'm, you know, I'm just saying this in general, you know, and that there's fall ball going on. And then of course, you know, when January rolls around, I knew, um, you know, that, you know, that's when we are starting for real. And so I, you know, I'd get a little funky with my feelings around then like, man, and now games are being played. And so it's like, um, I miss, of course, I miss I miss it uh, on, on all fronts, um, but I mostly miss you know the interaction that you have with the players, you know, and and um, you, you know you giving them grief and they giving you grief, you know, back respectfully, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that mm-hmm. you know you know the day to day journey of it all. But um, um, you know what the future holds, uh, you know that is a good question. I do have a few things that. Um, you know, we're kind of waiting. I'm kind of waiting and seeing, and and you know, of course, it, it, you know, it is just February, and you know, we'll see down the road. You know, come you know April and May and June, you know, what opportunities come up, whether it's um, you know at the college level, maybe even at the you know the high school level. Um, I, you know, I did do some things in the fall where I train. I did some training, uh, training, um, you know, you know, high school kids and even younger. Um, individual um, or smaller group, um, you know, skill development type training, which I love. I really do enjoy that. And um, I'm actually helping one of my best best friends, John Nostrand, um, who played in the league. We both we went to school together. We're, we're line mates, ran on the same midfield for a couple of years. Um, he is the head coach up at the Gilman School in Baltimore. Um, he just took over this year. He had been up in Philadelphia area for 28 years or so, I guess. And, and now he's down in Baltimore and, and, um, you know, he, um, you know, he's probably around November or so, December, he started kind of poking me to see if I'd be interested in, in, in helping him coach and, um, you know, the spring and, and cause originally I was going to take the time. I was like, you know what? And I have this time off. Well, I'll take the, you know, the spring and I'll, this would be fun. I'll go, you know, go see my buddies, you know, see them coach, see them, you know, just kind of travel around, seeing college yeah. games and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and, um, and so I was really set on doing that um, until, until John came to me and asked if, you know, if I, if, you know, not only asked, I mean, he, he was, <laughs> you know, he was, he was recruiting me pretty hard, um, I dare say. Um, and, um, and so I decided to, Help him out this spring, and um, we've we've been doing. I guess it's been maybe three weeks or so now. We've been doing some some um, workouts as we get ready for the season. Official practice doesn't start uh, until February 18th, but I've been having a, ba- a blast um, just working with um, you know these these kids. They're 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 motivated. They're excited, um, and we think it's, we have a chance to be pretty good to a big senior class. A number of them are going on to play at a high level. Uh, division Division One. They play in a great league, you know. They with the Calvert Halls. I don't know mm-hmm. how you are with the league in Baltimore and the boys Latins and Loyolas and Gilman. Uh, it's like the SEC. It's like the SEC football, you know. Yeah, right. It's just yeah. Um, And so I'm looking forward to, you know, coaching these, you know, these young men, and and um, you know, hopefully we can win a lot of games, and um, you know, and and um, you know, take them to a place they hadn't been in a couple of years. They're they. Traditionally, are a good program, and they've been solid over the last, you know, four or five years. But maybe haven't achieved, you know, quite the success that um, that they've wanted to. And so, hopefully, uh, Coach Nostrand and I can help them get over the hump. So that's what I'm doing this spring. 
And uh, yeah, you know, as I said, we'll, we'll see, um, you know, what the future holds, um, you know, come, um, you know, April, May and June, but I, 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 I don't want to leave the sport. Um, I, you know, I was a 20 year head coach. I was eight years assistant coach all told 28 years in college. And um, I actually coached a couple years in high school before I coached in college. So I, you know, this is, this is all I know, you know, mm-hmm. and I love, oh, by the way, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, just, um, you know, I, so, it, you know, I'm, I'm 56 years old. So um, I'm a few years away from, you know, retiring. I do have a, I have two girl, I have two kids. I have a, I have a, a senior in college. She's at Penn state. And then I have a, a seventh grader. And um, so um I gotta get that seventh grader, you know, I gotta get her through college. So I, I got you know I you know, there's still a lot of employment, you know, that I, I have ahead of me. <laughs> uh, um and hopefully it's in hopefully it's in the you know, in the lacrosse world because um, you know, I, I um you know, I, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, you, you, you yeah, over the years there's been some good moments and some not so good moments, whether it's some of the things we talked about earlier, um, by way of just what I've had to deal with being an African American. Um or, you know, in the case of me, you know, no longer working at the at the Naval Academy, or or, or some tough losses. I've had some tough losses, some some great yeah. wins, some tough losses. But that's the way it goes, right? You know, that's life. Um, you got to pick your, you know, pick yourself up once you get knocked down. Um, it's the same thing I tell my, I've you know, been telling my players for years. So, um, you know, I have to, um, you know, I got to practice what I preach, and I've I've done as much. And and to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to whatever that is, that next chapter when it officially begins. Because right now, I do feel like I am kind of in a holding pattern. Um, you know, whenever that next chapter begins, um, you know, I, you know, it's it's something I am very much looking forward to. And and um, um, you know, that's just the way I approach things. You know, life goes on. You know, um, pick yourself up. You get knocked down, and I, you know, we all get knocked down, right? You know, uh, how are we gonna how are we gonna act when that happens? And um, and I just do the only thing that I know how, and that's just to you know pick myself up and keep moving forward. So that's what I'm gonna do. Rick, this has been a, a real honor for me. Uh, like I said, 1992, I, I watched the first ever pro game I'd ever seen, and that Baltimore Thunder-Detroit Turbo games will always be ingrained in my memory. Uh, you have been a pioneer for our sport on and off the floor as a player, as a coach, and, and as a leader, and as a man. So thank you very much for all you've done for, for our game and continue to do, and I really, really do appreciate the time you've given us today. Well, Teddy, I, I can't tell you how... I can't tell you how much I appreciate you reaching out to me and, um, you know, allowing me to just relive some, some, you know, some of the good old days and, um, you know, have this conversation with you. Um, it's been awesome, man. I really, um, it makes my day, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be smiling the rest of the day and just thinking about, you know, a lot of things that we talked about. Um, and, um, I, uh, wish you the best of luck and, um, Feel free to reach out to me anytime, Teddy. You have my number now. Of course, when you first text me, I'm like, who the heck is this? Who the, the hell is this? You know, <laughs> you know, now if Matt, you know, if Matt gives you my number away, I, I knew, I was like, okay. And that was great of you. You threw that out there. And obviously, you know, that tells me something. But I had no idea. I'm thinking, is this guy, is this guy going to like contact me? Am I going to get a job? He's going to hire me or something or not, you know? Um, I'm no, recruiting you to come out west. Right. I'm going to reunite you with uh, Jeff Gumbar. We're going to create a super <laughs> team out here on the west coast. Well, you make sure you tell my man Jeff I says hello. All right. I, I will do that. I will do that, and I'll, uh, right, I'll 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 send you his number. Maybe you guys can connect because I'm sure that would be that would one be hell of a story. 
Oh, geez, I didn't even think of that. That'd be awesome. Please do. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll send you his number. Okay. All right, Rick. All right. Uh, again, all Take the best, care, my friend, and I, I truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. There are moments in our profession and in our sport where you get the opportunities to talk to people like Rick Soul and you realize that you could talk to them for hours. And Rick and I probably could have gone deeper into many other topics. But to be able just to have a few moments to reminisce about the old days of the MILL and to talk about the success of his former players like Kevin Crowley and Jordan McBride and to hear the pride in his voice going back and and reading about his past players and the success that they're having out of college and away from the game of lacrosse makes it so much more worthwhile and so much more enjoyable to have those types of conversations. I know Rick and I will do this again. Uh, I look forward to us meeting somewhere down the road at a lacrosse event I'm sure is going to happen, but I couldn't have been prouder to have that conversation with him a guy that, like I said, I knew nothing about and only knew him from hearing Leif Elsmo talk about him in awe during that broadcast of that championship game. And you heard him. He only started playing lacrosse when he was in grade 10. So if you give him two years of high school, three years of high school, four years in college, so by the time he's playing professional indoor lacrosse he's really only been playing the game six or seven years go back and look at how many times he was an all pro in the five or six years that he played in the MILL he was a three-time all pro go back and talk to anybody that played in those eras he was going goal for goal with the gates And for a guy that was new to the indoor game and truly new to the game of lacrosse in its infancy for him, to have that sort of success is phenomenal. And when this league looks at players that should be inducted to the Hall of Fame and we look at the most recent era of our players, yes, there are a lot of greats that need to be inducted. We need to look back to the M-I-L-L days. And some of the players that were the pioneers for our sport. And Rick Soule is one of those people. An incredible human being. An incredible father, husband, friend, and coach. And it was a true honor to have him here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Rick. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Bruce Codd. And I know you're going to enjoy the games this weekend. It's week 11, five games on the schedule, one Friday to Saturday to Sunday, and you can watch them all on BR Live. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games, everybody, and remember, be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.